0: I hit the kick drum eight times, and on the eighth time, hit the crash at the same time. And that's all I learned from him, and then he didn't show up again after that. So I found a new drum teacher, and I actually became all right, because I started uh, playing in my church. I was in a really small church, and they uh, just needed a drummer, so they threw me up there, and I was terrible at first, but as you play over and over again, you get better. And this is all by the time I was 12, I was a pretty good drummer. And then in seventh grade, uh, there's these... Uh, jazz band tryouts all right so for those of you in music you know about jazz band uh, but for me I didn't want to try out for jazz band for a couple of reasons one I just felt like uh, there's other things I wanted to focus my time on but also I was really worried about uh, this idea that I'd try out and then I wouldn't make it I was really worried I was so caught up in myself that I could not just uh, or I just could not imagine trying out for something and not making it. So if I didn't know for sure that I was going to make it, I was not going to try out. I was constantly listening to albums of my favorite bands, and I just thought, "Hey, I'm not as good as the people on these, or the people on these, you know, favorite songs and albums. So there's no way that I could be better than my friends. There's no way I can make the band. So I didn't try out, and I don't, I don't regret it because I don't think I was supposed to. But I regret the motivations as to why I didn't try out. Because looking back, I realized that I was probably more advanced than the kids in my school. You know, I played every week at my church. I was a pretty good drummer for being 12 years old. However, I was so insecure that I didn't have enough confidence in myself to think that I could possibly be more qualified than someone else at something. I just couldn't fathom the idea that I could be better than someone else at something. And also, I didn't want to put myself out there, like I said, because I didn't want to look dumb and not make the band. I was too prideful to, or to risk failure. I let both the trap of being insecure and feeling less than, and also the trap of my pride and not wanting to risk failure prevent me from potentially enjoying a great activity. And I share this to say because tonight we're going to talk about comparison, and what happened in that moment was I fell into the trap of comparison. I let this idea of comparison, comparing myself to drummers who play on recorded albums, prevent me from being all that God might have been calling me to be. Theodore Roosevelt said that comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is a trap from the devil that keeps us from realizing our full potential. It makes us look down on people who are made in the image of God. Either we're looking down on on other people and saying, hey, I'm better than those people, I'm superior, you know, comparing, saying I'm better, or we look down on ourselves. And both people are made in the image of God, right? So comparison always leads us to look down on people made in God's image, Comparison never leads to us viewing ourselves rightly or viewing other people rightly. And now I have a very long quote for you, so bear with me, but I think it really captures something good here. So John Tyson, he's an incredible pastor in New York City. He said this about comparison in his book, The Burden is Light. He said, comparison is the root of most misery in life. Comparison makes it impossible to view ourselves from any sort of godly perspective, Consider what comparison does to our view of others. First, when we compare ourselves with those we perceive to be better than, the comparison produces a sense of inferiority and insecurity. And whenever we see those people, they become reminders that we don't have what it takes and are falling behind. And it has a flip side. When we compare ourselves with people we perceive to be inferior to us, we are filled with a sense of superiority. The people around us become constant reminders of how good we are and how well we are doing and judgment and pride creep in so many of us in this room probably every single person in this room so this sermon is for you if you're wondering if it's for you i'm saying it's for you i think all of us struggle with comparison and it's rooted in an over concern with ourselves we're so consumed with how we stack up against other people comparison can look like viewing ourselves as better than other people or as viewing ourselves as weaker than other people. So my story is a great example of that. I did not want to try out for the drums because I didn't want to look stupid. So maybe like me, you are constantly judging yourself against others and telling yourself how you are better so you feel or feel valued. Or maybe you don't step into all that God has for you because the idea a failure and looking weak is crippling to you. You cannot imagine not making something. You cannot imagine not being the best at something. So you take yourself out of the game completely. In your world, you have to be the strongest. and You have to be the best. There's no way that you could be second place. With Ricky Bobby, you say, if you ain't first, you're last, right? It's many of us in this room. But comparison, and I think this is more of us to be honest as I prayed through this, comparison can also look like a lack of confidence in who God has called you to be. And we doubt our value, we doubt our abilities. My story is also a great example of that. I didn't trust that I could possibly be gifted enough at something to possibly make the band. So maybe for you, God has called you to something and you don't think you could ever do it. You're constantly cutting yourself down by comparing yourself to others. Or maybe you don't think you could be a kingdom leader because you don't think you're as solid of a Christian as someone else. You're comparing yourself to someone else. Or maybe you don't apply for a leadership position that God's calling you to apply for on campus because you think there's no way that I could possibly get that position. Or maybe you feel like the things you do for the kingdom don't have value because they're not as good as what other Christians are doing. Comparison kills our potential, and it prevents us from reaching God's best for our lives. It destroys us, all right? Tonight, I believe that God is going to move this mountain. I believe that God is going to release freedom in this place. I believe that he is going to set so many people free from comparison tonight, and we'll each be able to be in our own zone doing what God has called us to be, being confident in who God has called us to be, being humble and cheering on other people. So these first four weeks of the semester, which turned out to be five because our week two got canceled, have been devoted to looking at different spiritual mountains that stand in our way and how Jesus can move these mountains. I've said this three times. I'm going to say it once more. I believe that God wants 2019 to be a year of spiritual breakthrough for our campus and for you specifically and for this group. I believe that mountains that have towered over us for far too long are going to be moved in the name of Jesus. And Mark 11 says this. It's it's, uh, Jesus talking. He says, Truly I say to you that whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you that, uh, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. In week one, we talked about how Jesus can move the mountain of fear and replace it with trust. In week two, we talked about how Jesus can move the mountain of apathy and replace it with a sense of responsibility for our faith. In week three, which was last week, we talked about how Jesus can move the mountains, or the mountain of lies, and replace it with truth. And now tonight, we're going to talk about how Jesus can move the mountain of comparison and replace it with a deep sense of security in Christ and who he's called us to be. So tonight's message is called Comparison to Security. Jesus wants to move the mountain of comparison and replace it with a deep security in him that allows us to both love others well in humility and also love ourselves well in confidence. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Verses 24 through 30, if you don't have a Bible, we have three left. They're sitting over here, and you can have one, okay? So after service, get a Bible. They're very nice. I said they were sexy Bibles once, and I got some crap about it, but they are sexy. They're good-looking Bibles, all right? So get a Bible if you don't have one. But before we jump into this passage, it's important to know the context of it. In every passage we read, we want to know the context of it, because if we just read it out of context, we won't quite understand what's happening. So our passage takes place during the Last Supper. So maybe you've heard of the Last Supper. Uh, The Last Supper was the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples on the night before he was betrayed and crucified. So the the disciples had journeyed with Jesus for three years, and their time with him was coming to a close. I can only imagine what Jesus is thinking. He's thinking, I really got to get these guys ready because I'm leaving soon, and they are a bunch of chumps. You read the Bible, right? These guys were not the type of people that you want to trust the kingdom of God with. Okay, so he's teaching them some last things and, uh, and he's calling them to love and servanthood and all these things. And in the midst of this, it's, it's, you know, Jesus' final hours. This is the conversation that happens. Let's read it. A dispute also rose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles, which are just people who aren't God's people, specifically in this context, people who aren't Jewish, exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves? And you are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assigned to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. All right, so the main idea tonight is this. To move the mountain of comparison, we must be secure in Christ. If you want to get free of comparison, figure out this thing called security in Christ. All right, let's pray, and then we're going to jump into it. Jesus, I pray tonight that you would speak. Holy Spirit, I ask you to have your way in this service. God, I know that so many of us have come in with concerns and anxieties and worries and, and things that are stressing us out. God, I pray that your spirit would just kind of breathe over this place. God, just breathe a deep sense of contentment and peace. And God, I pray that you would free us from the trap of comparison tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Two points tonight, okay? It's a crazy night. There's not three or four, there's two, okay? So maybe we'll get out early. Probably not, because I'm probably gonna get on a tangent. No, I'm kidding. Hopefully we can keep this going. Okay, so first point. To move the mountain of comparison, we must allow our security in Christ to drive us to humility. So the, the disciples had spent three years with Jesus, and they had watched him minister to people's needs, and they watched him preach about radical love, and he modeled sincere humility up close. In fact, in John's account, so the Gospel of John, in this last couple of days, in John 13, so right before he's crucified, Jesus talks or Jesus washes his disciples' feet, right? And in the ancient world, this was nasty because they didn't have shoes or if they did, they were sandals. These feet were gross. So Jesus, king of all things, the king of the universe, gets on his knees and washes his disciples' feet and he tells them to do the same thing for each other. So John thirteen fourteen through 16, just, or just quickly here, he says, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, then you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So Jesus, in his final hours, is trying to hammer home the point that true life and joy comes from, from following his example and looking for ways to serve others. If you want to find life then you must become an expert in how to love others and serve others. This is what Jesus is saying. And sometime after this, so this is like in the same day, uh, sometime after this, this dispute breaks out about who's the greatest. So again, the king of the Gentiles, they exercise lordship over them, so Jesus is responding to this. And, And those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you, rather let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader is one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as one who serves? So Jesus was so close to the cross, but his disciples were so far from living like him. He's thinking, crap, 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 crap. I screwed up. I should have chose that other guy. Just after telling them to wash each other's feet, they're fighting about who the greatest is. It's baffling. It's baffling. How much Jesus had to repeat stuff over and over and over again to these disciples. And I hope that gives you some courage and hope tonight, because he's not done with you yet, right? He's had to tell you some things over and over and over again. And he's patient with you. And Jesus is patient with these disciples. It's right before his death, and they're still not, or they're still not getting it. And they're still not secure enough in Christ to be freed up to start counting other people as more significant than themselves. They're still not there yet. And to their dispute, Jesus says, don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like those who are not my people, who wield their authority over others and take credit for what they have done. The world tells you to push yourself up and push others down and to to look out for number one and achieve as much as possible throughout your life. But Jesus calls them to a different way. He calls us to a different way. Instead of wielding your authority over others, take the lowest place. In the ancient world, age gave, or gave privileges, and the youngest was the lowliest. So Jesus is calling them to embrace the humility of the youngest, and he models it perfectly by washing their feet. This principle illuminates the key in moving the mountain of comparison. If we want to see this mountain moved, then we have to get over ourselves. We have to get into a posture of servanthood. And we must be like our king who was not afraid to get his hands dirty and to wash others' feet. Our king who laid down his life for the world. Just like King Jesus, we must make a commitment to say, every day I'm going to pour myself out for others. But But to be able to do this, we have to become humble, right? This idea of humility. We have to be humble. So what does humble mean? It just means this. It means a modest or low view of one's own importance. Or C.S. Lewis said it this way. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking about yourself less. Some of us all day long, including me, are thinking about ourselves. We're consumed by our our own worries and concerns. But humble people don't do this. Humble people have a very tough time comparing themselves to others because they are always thinking of others. They're saying, how can I serve other people? How can I love other people? But the key is not cutting yourself down. It's not having a low view of yourself. But it's getting to a point where you are not the most important person in your life. And your thoughts aren't consumed with yourself but they're consumed with God, first and foremost, and then other people. And you're so filled with God's love that you are constantly thinking of how you can respond to this love by loving God and other people. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says it beautifully. He says this. He says, "...do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, and let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others." So instead of being driven by selfish ambition and conceit, count others as more significant than you. As you do this, you can't possibly compare yourself to others because your priority is not your own success, It's not being better than other people, and you have no competition anymore because you are for others. Their interests are your interests. Their success does not take anything away from you, but you actually want their success. We have to get to this point where we're so consumed with loving other people that that we don't have time to think about being better than them. John Tyson says it again, and I'll rely on him a little bit throughout the sermon. He says, comparison makes it impossible for us to love deeply in community. As followers of Jesus, we're called to live lives of sacrificial love but it's impossible to give our hearts and lives away to those whom we must be, or, to the, or to those whom we must better in order to determine our worth. Comparison is the enemy of compassion. The only way we can get to this point, though, of being humble is by, by allowing the love of Christ to be downloaded into our hearts. And you may ask, "How do I get the love of Christ in my heart? Well. You have to look at the things that Christ did. So, or Philippians chapter 2, Paul shares that verse about, you know, uh, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit. And then he turns to Jesus and he points to, or he points to him in verse 5. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ, the King and the one who was there before the before the foundations of the world, the one who created it all, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. Although he is equal to God, and it's his right, he emptied himself and he took the form of a servant so that He could save us, save you and I from our sins. As this truth that Christ gave everything for you gets into your heart, it's what enables you to be humble. Because Christ's love has so warmed your heart that you're like, I got to be like my king. I got to follow his example. And as you do this, as you allow his love to transform you, and to help you to put others before yourself, you're going to be freed from the bondage of competition and comparison, and you're going to cheer on other people. So someone who I think of when I think of uh, this idea of having a heart of a servant is my friend Kyle Trozen. Okay? He's the Kyle Fitch director at Iowa State University. He's the sweetest guy in the entire world. All right, Kyle is constantly consumed with other people. He's constantly consumed with his friends. Every time I see him, he wants to talk to me about my life. And I'm a pastor, so I'm used to talking to others about their life, so I feel weird halfway through. I'm like, wait, am I supposed to just keep talking here? Why don't you share something about your life? But he's genuinely interested in my life. And then he doesn't just ask, hey, how are you doing? He actually listens. You know those people who actually listen? I love those kind of people. And I love you too if you don't listen, but you need to get over yourself, okay? (laughs) And when I have success in ministry, you know, we're both on two of the biggest campuses in Iowa, and when I have success He doesn't view it as taking anything away from himself and what he's doing at Iowa State, but instead he's genuinely, I can see it in his eyes, he's genuinely excited for me, and he views it as a win for himself as well. I think we could all be freer and happier if we allowed the heart of Jesus, shown through the heart of Kyle, to be downloaded into our hearts. So what if we were so moved by God's love that every time we saw people Like we were actually interested in what they were doing. Every time we saw a friend or sat down for coffee with our friends, we say, how are you doing? And we're actually interested in it. And what if a win for someone else was uh, viewed as a win for us? And what if we didn't allow other successes to make us feel inferior, but instead we were so confident with who we are in Christ that we could genuinely be for them? So getting free from comparison is all about allowing our security in Christ to free us up. This security should first free us to be humble, but it also has to free you to be confident. It has to free you to be humbly bold or to walk in humble boldness. I love that quote. Humble boldness, that phrase. We could all be humbly bold. If we could walk in humble boldness, I'm telling you, this kingdom would go forth, right? So it's not just being humble, but it's also being confident. And we see that in the last three verses of Luke 22, verses 24 through 30. It says this, it says, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones and judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So the second and final point tonight, hallelujah, is this. To move the mountain of comparison, we must allow our security in Christ to drive us to confidence. After it, exhorting his disciples to serve and to count others as more important than themselves, Jesus reminds his disciples of who they are and what he thinks about them. I think of Simba in Lion King when Mufasa says, Simba, remember who you are. That's what Jesus does right after this. He says, remember who you are. He says, I know that you're the ones who have stayed with me in my trials, I'm giving you a kingdom, and you're going to sit at my table in eternity judging the whole world alongside me. In other words, he says, your future is secure. Your place with me is secure. So be confident, and you don't need to secure your future or your worth from anybody else. Jesus reassures his disciples following his exhortation to serve because he knows that for them to really be freed up to take the heart of a servant, they have to know what he thinks about them, and they have to walk in this humble boldness, this humble confidence. When we know what God thinks about us and our identity in him, it frees us up to not feel the need to get our worth by comparing ourselves to others. How many of you Have ever posted something on Instagram and counted your likes and then counted your friends' likes to see how it stacks up? A lot of you have done it. I've done it with some, you know, freshman girls before. I'm like, how do they get, like, 2,000 likes? I get, like, 30. I think it's because Instagram wasn't that big of a deal when I was in high school. But, hey, I know some of you do those kind of things. Like, some of you will take an hour to take a picture of yourself to put on Instagram. Girl, take the first picture and post it. Like, we don't actually care that much. I'm sorry. We love you. But we just want to see your pretty face, and that's good, right? We don't need to have a perfect picture with the lighting coming through. Like, who are you trying to impress? Just post a picture, hey, y'all. Don't even smile. I dare you to do that. Just be like, I just woke up. What's up? Or don't post a picture at all. That might be a crazy thought. (laughs) Because you don't get your worth from other people. You don't get your worth from Instagram likes. You get your worth from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who says that you're his beloved and you're his daughter of God. Or son of God. I know some of you guys every morning are like, hmm, take a picture. When we know that God loves us, accepts us, has called us, and is for us, we can stop measuring ourselves against other people. This is the key to getting out of the trap of comparison. When the king of the universe calls you his son or daughter, and he tells you that he's prepared a place for you to rule the world... Alongside him, there's no need to compare yourself to other people. If we can not only know what God thinks about us, but also actually believe it, it's going to change everything. It's going to change your world. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and then 4 through 6 says this. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and and raised up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So without Christ, we're dead. We're literally dead. You're spiritually dead. Okay? You're dead in your trespasses and sins. If you don't have Christ, you are dead spiritually. And you do have a reason to try to search for your worth and identity in other places because you don't have a relationship with God. That's the reality. That's the grim reality. However, if you put your faith in Jesus and accept his sacrifice that he gave for you on the cross, then you come alive together with Christ and are given this future of reigning with Christ or being raised up to sit with him in heavenly places. I feel like we could talk about that for two hours right now if we wanted to. Just think about that. Raised up to sit with God in the heavenly places. What does that even mean? I'm not quite sure but it's an incredible future. That's what God has purchased for you if you put your faith in him. And why do we give a darn what someone else thinks about us on earth? Why do we care who likes our Facebook posts? And not only this, he's not only purchased a place for you in eternity, but as I've said, he calls you a child of God. In John 1:12, it says, but to all who receive Jesus... Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When we get that the sacrifice of Christ secures our identity as a son or daughter of God and our future of reigning with him for eternity, it changes everything. And we don't need validation from other people because our validation comes from heaven. And we don't need to be better than other people because the God of heaven has already Gave it all on our behalf. If I'm honest, comparison is one of the biggest struggles of my life. Ever since I was young, I've always compared myself with people who are like five or ten years older than me. Because i got to be the best. Not only like my own age bracket, but people older than me. It's just a weird thing I've had throughout my whole life. I've had this insane drive to be the very best. To be the best at everything. As I shared earlier, if I wasn't going to be the best, I wasn't going to do it. I only played sports I was good at. I only did things I was good at. And now it doesn't quite look like that for me anymore. I've kind of found my thing I do, which is hang out with you crazy kids all the time. I'm not really, you know, playing. I try to play basketball with the boys, but it doesn't work out very well. If you played this weekend, it's real bad. We played a group of 15-year-olds, and I got whipped on. His name's Tyler. He's a great kid. He's about this tall, and he whipped on me. But anyways, it's besides the point. But, So the thing I do now, I don't take myself out of the game, so to speak, but I'm constantly comparing myself to other people to find my value. Specifically as a minister, a lot of times I try to find my worth in how well this group is doing, okay? How many people show up on a Tuesday night, right? Things like that. I'm like, hey, how many people did we get? How many people did Iowa State get? These are the kind of things you think about when you're a pastor. I know it's weird and strange, but these are the kind of things that you try to find your worth in. I was talking to, or to one of my mentors. His name is Pastor Jonathan Bartholow about this a, a couple months ago, and Jonathan is a prototypical successful pastor, okay? He's been a youth pastor. He's been a worship pastor. He's been a missionary to India. He's pioneered Kai Alpha in our state. He started all the Kai Alphas in our state, and he was the first director here on this campus. He was my pastor. And now he's planted a church in Waverly, and it's got like 500 people, which is huge for that town. It's like the biggest church in town. And he's also on the executive leadership team for our network of churches. And the dude is only 38. I don't know how you do all those things between the time of 22 when you graduate college and 38, but he's done it somehow. And I was talking to him about my struggle, the struggle of finding my worth and how well the ministry is doing. And he told me that for him, all his ministry successes. Could be taken away. And, and he's sincere about this. Like, like, he's not just saying it. I know he's sincere. I know Jonathan. I remember one year, between our freshman and sophomore year, we didn't have a worship team, okay? Like, back when I was a freshman. We didn't have a worship team. And all summer long, I was consumed with it. I was like, who's going to lead worship for Kappa? Who's going to lead worship? I don't want to go to Jonathan singing. He's not very good. And I'm thinking those things. And he didn't even care. Like, not that, I shouldn't say he didn't care, but he wasn't worried about it. Like he's like, God will provide somebody, and if he doesn't, we'll get through it. And I was consumed with it all summer because we had to have a great worship team in Kyleville, but he was just like, ah, God's got this. It's always been his personality. And he told me that the reason that he can have all this success taken away, that he doesn't like, like get all worried about if there's a worship team, things like that, is because he knows that his identity comes from being a child of God. He told me on the phone, he said, Daniel, at the end of the day, you can take all this away. My identity and my worth comes from being a child of God. And I know it's so simplistic. It seems, okay, that's easy to say, but I truly believe it when he says it. And in my opinion, I think he's able to be successful because of that mindset, because he doesn't find his worth in his ministry, right? I'm sure he does at times. I'm sure he struggles like anybody else, but the point is he's able to be successful because he's freed up from this trap of constantly beating yourself down or beating others down and trying to compare yourself to others, but instead he's just being a child of God, doing what God's called him to do in confidence, and he's watching God bless it. This is the key to getting out of the trap of comparison. You have to know that your worth does not come from what you do, but it comes from whose you are. Not who you are, but whose you are, and that is God's kid. And your worth comes from being bought with the blood of the king of the universe. God of heaven spilled blood for you. How can you ever doubt your worth? How can you ever doubt your identity? God loves you not because of what you do, but he loves you because he is love. And he made you in his image. He doesn't love you because of anything you've done. And some of you think, I'm pretty good. That's why God loves me. No, 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 no. It's filthy rags compared to him. In the Old Testament, God couldn't even... Or God couldn't even reveal himself to people because he was worried that he would consume them, it says. Like he would kill them because he's so holy. And nothing unclean can stand in his sight. That's how you are in God's presence. You're unclean. But Jesus' blood covers you. So now when God looks at you, he sees the sacrifice of his son. He sees Jesus. He literally sees Christ when he looks at those who have put their faith in Jesus. Jesus has stood in your place. He's paid your penalty. He's imputed his righteousness into your life. And now when God sees you, he sees someone who's forgiven. He sees someone who has lived a perfect life just like Jesus. Somehow he sees you that way. Okay, it all is his doing though. It's not yours. You've done nothing. It doesn't matter how many times you read the Bible this week. He's still going to love you the same. It doesn't matter if you don't read the Bible. He's not going to stop loving you. Guys, your worth is not dependent upon how you perform it's dependent upon who god is god is love god is love god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life that's where your worth comes from jesus gave it all for you if you can get this if you can get this into your bones if you could understand that God calls you his son and daughters, it would change everything. You'd stop measuring yourself against against what your friends are doing. You'd stop going on this emotional roller coaster of life that's dependent upon your circumstances. There's huge highs. There's huge lows because you're worth, because when you're doing well, you're like, I'm the best. Life is good. And then when you're not doing well, you're like, I suck. I'm terrible. Instead, you're steady because you're, Because your worth comes from Christ. You know that you are more flawed than you could ever imagine, but at the same time, you're more loved than you could ever dream. That truth saves you from the despairs of the lows and the mountaintop experiences of the highs of getting too lofty and and thinking too highly of yourself. If you can get this, it's going to cause you. If you can get your worth, it's going to cause you to be strangely confident in an anxious world. We live in an anxious world. Everybody's worried and anxious about something. But instead of being anxious along with the world and wondering where your identity comes from, you're going to be strangely confident and joyful and content. And that will be the best witness you can have for the world. That will show people Christ. So John Tyson, one more time, he says this. He says, a fast from comparison and a feast on biblical identity could move your life into a place of freedom and delight. And you'd be more present to those you love because you're not going, taking pictures every second, and begin to notice the things that are happening around you. And you'd be able to celebrate the success of others and, and delight in their favor, their favor rather than feeling like you're being overlooked or diminished in some way by their success. And your envy would melt into love as you realize that you're on the same team and seeking the same goal, and you wouldn't perceive others as a threat. So the main idea, again, is this. To move the mountain of comparison, you have to know who you are in Christ, or in other words, you have to be secure in Christ. To move the mountain of comparison, we must be secure in Christ. Are you secure tonight? Do you know where your identity comes from? Do you know who you are? Does God need to come to you like Mufasa and say, remember who you are? Does that need to happen tonight? I believe it does for a lot of us. I believe that God wants to set us free from the traps of comparison and striving and release us into joy and freedom and delight. Some of you came in here here tonight with the weight of the world on your shoulders and you feel this constant burden to be the best. And you're grasping for your worth. It's as if you're in, or it's as if you're in the ocean, and you're barely keeping your head above the waves. As you seek to keep your head above all those things you find your identity in. You're trying to be just good enough to keep your identity in a secure place. And you're striving for worth by making sure that. Others have positive opinions of you, which is going to cripple you, I promise. Or, in your own personal achievements, you're actually trying to get to a place where you approve of yourself. Because some of us have this weird, insidious drive inside of us that says, I'm never going to be good enough. You're consumed with what others think about you, and you're consumed with being successful in the eyes of yourself. The questions you ask are, Do they think I'm attractive? Do they think I'm successful? Or in Chi Alpha, do they think I'm spiritual? Am I smart? Or do they think I'm smart? And then the questions you ask yourself, comparing yourself to yourself, is you're saying, am I attractive? Am I successful? Am I spiritual? Am I smart? You're constantly striving to have the best grades, to have the best body, to have the best clothes, to have the best social media feed, and even the best Christian persona, Also, others view you well or so you feel good enough and so you can sleep with yourself at night. It's not wrong to have good grades. It's not wrong to have good health. I'm all for those things. It's not wrong to wear good clothes. But the question is, why do you want these things? Is it to please others? Is it to prove your worth to yourself? If it's for those reasons, it's the wrong reason. The only way to want these things for the right reason, which is to make the most of what God has given you and to bring him glory, the only way to want these things for that reason is to get back to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. At the cross, you've heard this many times probably, but just take it in for a second. At the cross, Jesus purchased your security. He paid your penalty. He freed you from death, sin, hell, and the grave. Through the cross, he made forgiveness and freedom from sin possible. He made it possible for you to be called a child of God. And at his resurrection, he secured your future by defeating death and saying that it's not going to have the final word. He freed you from trying to find all your significance from this life there's an eternity with God ahead of you, it's going to be okay if you don't cram everything into like this little life, right? It's going to be okay. If we can get the love of God shown to us through the cross and the promise of new life in our future with Christ shown through the resurrection, we may just capture the security that's going to free us from comparison. If you're a follower of Jesus tonight, go back to these truths and remember that your worth comes from the fact that you're a child of God and nothing else. If you're not a follower of Christ, I want to encourage you tonight. The scriptures say, if you confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. It says in Second or 2 Corinthians 5:17 that it says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So all it takes to be saved by this king is to just throw all your weight into Him. say, I trust you. God, you determine my worth. God, I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. I trust what you have done for me. So if you haven't done that tonight, I encourage you to do that. All right, stand with me. We're going to close. So two things I want us to do. First thing is I want us to be a community that's so humble, so humble because we've been moved by Jesus, so humble that Our goal in life is not to beat others down and lift ourselves up, but instead our goal is to help others. Our goal is to love others. Our goal is to is to celebrate others. And secondly, I want us to be a community that's confident. Guys, if you're a son or daughter of God, you have reason to be confident. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. I think it grieves the heart of God when He has children who are not confident in who they are. I think it grieves His heart. He says, "I've." gave it all for you I put my Holy Spirit inside of you how can you possibly not be confident I'm going to go with you I'm going to help you so tonight I pray that you would be freed up to be confident you don't have to beat yourself down all the time all right all right so bow your heads and close your eyes we're going to pray so two questions you know just like always the, the first one tonight is this if you're here tonight and you haven't put your faith in Jesus I want to give you a chance to do that Just a simple prayer of saying, I trust you, Jesus. And then when you do that, when you say that you trust Jesus, he saves you. He gives you a new heart. He makes you a new creation, and you become a child of God. So if that's you, I'm going to count to three, and I just want you to signal to God. Nobody's looking around. So just raise your hand to God and say, hey, God, I want to be your kid. All right, so one, two, three. Raise your hands all across this room. see that hand. I see that hand. Is there anybody else? All right. Uh, go ahead and put your hands down. I'm just gonna pray a simple prayer for you. And you pray something in your heart and just pray it in your own words. Just pray, Jesus, I trust you. Or Jesus, I wanna be saved. Whatever, whatever comes to your mind. So I'm gonna pray. Jesus, we thank you for what you did on the cross. God, we thank you that you determined our worth by giving it all for us. And Jesus, I pray tonight that for those two people who raised their hand, tonight that you'd make them a new creation, God. I pray that you'd put your Holy Spirit inside of them. And that something would change inside of them, God. That they would be transformed forever. God, we just pray that in your name. All right, so one more way to respond. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you're here and if you're honest, you're either struggling with one, like not being humble and looking down on other people and you're constantly comparing yourself, telling yourself how you're better than people, or you're constantly looking down on yourself telling yourself how people are better than you. I want to give you a chance to give that to Jesus and say that my worth does not come from comparing myself to other people, but it comes from what you say about me. So just lift your hands to heaven right now, if that's you. All right, Jesus, I just pray that this community would be freed up from the traps of comparison. God, we pray that you would move that mountain tonight in the strong name of Jesus. And Jesus, as we're wrapping up this series, I just pray that you would move mountains this year. God, I pray that those things that have towered over us for far too long would be moved in the name of Jesus. God, we claim that promise in your word that says whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So tonight, God, we pray that you'd move mountains in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.